And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. For me, it's always been a process of trying to convince myself that what I'm doing in a first draft isn't important. I remember the incredible liberation of the point that I moved from typewriter to computer because I was no longer making paper dirty. It was just sort of notional. It was like imaginary. I was writing these words, but they didn't matter. And then a decade after that, I remember the, the liberation again of suddenly going, I could write in notebooks because it isn't real until I keyboard it. Mm-hmm. And I still, actually, one of the things that I still do over and over is just write in notebooks, get you know, big old moleskins and things, or, and just, just handwrite because it's, it's not real. But one way you get through the wall is just by convincing yourself that, that it doesn't matter. Nobody's ever going to see your first draft. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about your first draft. And that's the thing that you may be agonizing over. But honestly, whatever you're doing can be fixed. And you can fix it tomorrow. You can fix it next week. For now, just get the words out. Get the story down however you can get it down and then fix it. If you only write when you're inspired, you may be a fairly decent poet but you will never be a novelist because you're going to have to make your word count today and those words aren't going to wait for, for you whether you're inspired or not. So you have to write when you're not inspired and you have to write the scenes that don't inspire you. And the weird thing is that six months later, a year later, you'll look back at them and you can't remember which scenes you wrote when you were inspired and which scenes you just wrote because they had to be written next. Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And you are here for episode 134. Man. And we have a guest. That we, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> we have with us a writer and publisher of horror, doc, fantasy, and science fiction. He once served as president of the Horror Writers, of, uh, horror Writers Association and is a multiple Bram Stoker recipient. He's CEO and founder of Crossroad Press, a cutting-edge digital publishing company specializing in electronic novels. Like mine. <laughs> like yours, exactly. <laughs> and uh, collections and unabridged audiobooks. Please welcome David Nye Wilson. Yay. Yay, Thanks David. Nice. <laughs> welcome, David. How, how you doing, buddy? Good. Good. Right on. Uh, I guess we could start with you with uh, the question we always ask. Um, I want, I'm always interested in what writers are and painters and, and et cetera, what they were like as kids. Um, growing up, were you like Neil Gaiman said he was the bookish kid under the table, right. uh, always reading? Is is that close to the mark? I was um, I was always reading when I was really young. It was probably more comic books than than books. But I nice. moved into books pretty quickly. Um, I studied all the time. I was the kid who always read the assignment and pissed everybody off. <laughs> I just liked to read. Um, and we lived out at a lake, so there weren't you know, a lot of other kids or anything around, so most of our time was spent fishing or reading. Nice. <laughs> wasn't, a lot of, wasn't a lot of in-between. David, where was home? Where, where uh, that was Charleston, Illinois at that point. Um, there's where Eastern Illinois University is at. Sure, absolutely. I'm, I'm from, do you know where Carbondale is? I do. I, I grew up about 20 miles south of Carbondale. Almost. You probably played basketball against them at some probably. point. Probably. <laughs> 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 and what a great place. 
to grow up, I think. Yeah, it, 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 it sounds... It sounds very Bradbarian, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It definitely was that because, you know, it's, a lot of places were so small. I mean, my grandparents' town, Flora, Illinois, the only business that it ever had was a shoe factory, and it was already abandoned by the time I started visiting there. So, you know, a lot of the settings and stuff that I've picked, I've pulled from those really small towns in Illinois. My uh, my uncle lives in Florida. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. I'm serious as a heart attack. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. When you when you say shoe factory, I, it, it reminds me of like the Lansdale perpetual reference to the aluminum <laughs> chair factory <laughs> in the Happen Leonard stuff. That sounds great though. When you when, when you when you made that transition from comic books to to regular books, um, what what kind of stuff were you reading as a kid? Well, as a kid, I, I used to pick up stuff that was on sale. We, we had, you know, we didn't even have the big four markets in our in our shopping mall. We had a place I think it was called Alden's or something like that. But they went out of business, and they had a big sale where they had the little Ace double size science fiction things. So I bought like a thousand of those. Wow! And I read Andre Norton and um, just just tons of that stuff. Heinlein and uh, worked my way through that to fantasy. And I think the reason for the fantasy, well, when I was a kid, I also used to read a lot of, like, historical fiction, mm-hmm. but mostly because the books were really long. And, you know, i go to the library, and I'd run out of anything to read. So, you know, I always ask for books for Christmas, for birthdays. Um, I used to read Kenneth Roberts. He wrote a bunch of stories about American history. They were just fictional versions. Remember, remember that series of books that was popular for a while, and it was like, it was like each state. There was like the no. John Jakes. Yeah, really? yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, that's crazy. I remember like my mom had this whole like shelf of the, you know all these states. Wasn't it Turtle Bub that did the alternative? Yeah, yes. reality yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, what is it, Guns of the South? Yeah. Like I can't remember. Like somebody goes through time and gives the Confederacy machine guns or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steampunk when steampunk wasn't cool. Yeah. That's right. At least they I write weird. That's a weird <laughs> shit. That's like. You know what would be cool, man? That's <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did you, uh, did you, uh, did you go to school? Like, did you go to college to get it and got a degree and did all that route, or were you... Oh, no. I went to the Navy to get out of town. Nice. I could have gone to college because my mom worked at that college, but, um, I decided I would, I would get on out, so I headed to San Diego and went to boot camp and spent my 20 years in the Navy. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's always I always wow because like I did I did my three and I'm like all right I I'm done my three <laughs> in the army I'm like I didn't like you guys before I started and I really don't like you now <laughs> so I don't remember a lot of the earlier years wow <laughs> wow wow San Diego that's that's a nice place for a kid from the sticks to come and see the world it's an eye opener I bet you know in my high school we had it, it's not a very ethnic area in Charleston. There were two black students in my entire high school, and we had 1,300 students. So it was that crazy for me to go to, you know, San Diego. There were there, there were Latin Americans, all kinds of stuff, and I'm working in environments that I've never even dreamed of, except on TV. Wow. So it was pretty weird. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was one of the best things that ever happened to me was going to California. Sure. Sure, I, w- I could see that. And, and as a writer, the opportunity to, you know, I oh yeah, the stories. To say, yeah, to say see the world. But yeah. I think I think as writers, 
our our content comes from our experience. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you wouldn't believe some of the content from the Navy years. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- there are already stories and novels out there that include some of it. So, do you do you remember your first published piece? My very first published piece was a poem. Nice. And it was called a poem. <laughs> <laughs> I love and that. And it was published in the Body Eclectic, which turned out when it showed up in the mail to be something that some lady was mimeographing and. Wow. In but still. the office, but still, you know, that yeah. was the first one, and I actually got paid like three dollars, I think. So nice, nice. I was, I was thrilled. I, uh, I, my first sold piece was this sordid thing that I sent to Swank Magazine. <laughs> Stephen King did. That's right. You're like, yeah. It's about like, a guy that fucks his televisions. <laughs> 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 but they paid me, and it was. I got a check for like five hundred dollars, and I thought. This is easy. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. This is easy money. I'm going to tell you a story that matches that because my, yes, probably please. my first my first professionally paid piece I sold to a magazine called Nugget. Now I just read the other day about a Stephen King story that's coming out that was one of his first stories. Uh-huh. It was also published in Nugget, and I know exactly <laughs> what happened to him because both of ours were also published in Cavalier like eight months later. Uh-huh. But the deal was Cavalier paid $250 for a story. Nugget paid $150 for a story and $75 if they wanted to reprint it. What they did was they bought them, published them in Nugget, published them in Cavalier, and Cavalier ends up paying $25 less than they would have paid if they had just bought it the first time. Sure. And they're the ones that told me to send it to Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, so I know exactly what happened to him. My favorite thing um, around that same time, that same story, I have... Over there, I have a. I still have it. It's my rejection letter from Hustlers Busty Beauties. Yes, <laughs> and it had the greatest, <laughs> the greatest letterhead because it's just, of course, it's this woman with immense sure. breasts. Hilarious, but again, isn't that funny? Like in a weird article somewhere, I remember reading King saying like yeah. he liked he liked to submit to those because they 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 would take things that were really far field right. and that they paid well. And I thought, yep. Well, it's good enough for Ken Steven. What a different world it is now. Like, yeah. Well, first of all, are there even many of those magazines around anymore? And I, know. I, I know, like, We and Gent and that kind of stuff have gone out of business. Yeah, they went out of business. It, but, you know, some, so much of the... the <laughs> or so I've heard. Well, well, so much of the... Okay, well, so at one time, you know, porn was a place where a fiction writer could cut their teeth, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you weren't writing porn, you know? Right. And now, if there is... I don't even know if there are magazines anymore, but if there are, I'm sure it's all just, you know, very specific content, like all porn is now. It's mm-hmm. like, it's all very fetishized. It's like, this is for people who like big toes, you know, or yes. whatever... People have the internet now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It, it, I just—it it reminds me always of the um, Richard Jenny quote about you know you type into a search engine "man having sex with goat" and it kicks back the question, "Please specify species." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I think because it's kind of like your first, your first. You yeah. know, it's it's you you sell that piece and and it sort of gives you. This validation. It gives you permission. Session. Yeah, yeah. We talk a lot of, on the show yeah, about, about be as an artist, at some point, somebody gave you permission to 
stare out a window and scribble your thoughts down on a yeah. paper. And and that person usually goes unsung when they're they're critical. Was it, do you know who that person was for you, David? Was it a teacher? Was it a relative? Who said, "Hey, you can write"? You like I like I, that story. Well, I, I did pretty well in high school with writing. And I won a poetry contest there and actually sold a poetry notebook to a friend of mine and, and he took first and I got second and I was <laughs> pissed off about that because he didn't give me the prize. Yeah. He kept yeah. it. But uh, I, I always, I think that there was not really cert a certain person, but what happened was I told people I was a writer for so long without having actually written anything except what I did in high school that at some point I had to put up or shut up and just, just write something. <laughs> so I just started. And, and at that point, I, I took a course with J.N. Williamson through Writer's Digest magazine and met all the, the Howl people. It used to be Howl back then, the HWA. And the oh, yeah. Small press was huge back then. There were, there were hundreds of ma magazines you could submit to. So it was a good time to uh, start being a writer. Yeah, yeah. I remember, oh, when I think back to Carpenoctum's slush pile of <laughs> fiction, <laughs> oh my god, it was. I remember binders of va I shit you not. I've said this before. Vampire haiku. <laughs> it was just page after page of vampire haiku, and it went on forever. And it was just like I was so impressed by the volume of it. Right. <laughs> it was like I can't do anything with this. It's like some bizarre uh, performance art piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, um. Uh, uh, how did you get involved with the HWA? Well, like I said, Jerry Williamson was my was my teacher in that class, and he introduced me to the HWA. He said I should join up because I would, you know, I'd meet all the people I needed to meet. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of signed up. I think that the first time I ever met any of the people face to face would have been a really early Nikon. Wow! And, I've never uh, been everybody was there. Skip, there. There's a great story of mine from there, and I know which I wish the two of them got along now, but they don't. Skip Inspector, uh -huh. and uh, they were there, and we were having this awards. Or we were trying to have an awards ceremony, but there was also like a high school football team at that college, <laughs> and we were doing this in like the little lounge area, and they were all in there, and they were like catcalling and doing all this stuff, and I leaned over to one of them and pointed at at Skip and said, "You know, those two guys over there wrote." Nightmare on Elm Street 5. It's like, really? Mm -hmm. And they went over, and then I kind of waved at the two of them, and they they marched out through the door, and these kids just all followed them like ducks. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, we were able I've to continue the meeting. I've never done... I, I did um, the what, HWC, right, or whatever it is, the, the convention that HWA does. Oh. World Horror Con. Okay. Um, in Portland one year, and it was bizarre, it's, um, it's always important. <laughs> not not, not a bizarre it? in a bad way, but oh, it having was, so lots of having been so used to things like you know San Diego Comic Con and and you know Fango Cons mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, it was it was very interesting to 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 be there. Um, met Kurtz there, Ed Kurtz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had it's it on the show. It, well, it's a, it's a different, it's a completely different crowd, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like it's kind of it's like like going to. A Lovecraft convention, as opposed to, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. Wait, what you you've probably attended a ton of these things. What do you think are some of the better author cons going on in the in the country? For authors, it, it obviously Nikon's a really good one. Although it's not as good as it has been in the, or it wasn't as good this year. I think just probably because, and I wasn't there, so I, I shouldn't probably say that, but because they have their convention at the same time. But hmm. that's enough. The two of them are, are 
and that used to be um, a different convention that w was held there. But that one, um, Necronomicon has a lot of authors at it. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on what the genres of the World Fantasy Convention was wonderful for me. But it put me in a position at one point where I was on a panel. How I got on a panel at that point, I don't know, because I was just editing a little magazine called The Tome, and I had like five published short stories. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd sold the, novel. the novel hadn't come out yet. And here I am on this panel. But everyone in the in the seats is like best-selling science fiction authors. Nice. <laughs> Everybody. It's a yeah. whole sea of them. And then we were supposed to be up there to tell them what makes a good short story. Yeah. <laughs> so that was yeah. That was kind of different, but that's a really good. That's a good one. It's kind of big, but it's good for authors. Um, hmm. It's it's really hard. I don't like the bigger ones, like comic cons and stuff. I I, I find like you get to do like two of the things you thought you were going to do. Mm. Yeah, I. Um, and we 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 did just did Crypticon up here, right. and um, it's it's very interesting. Langley's the guy who like what is it? Schedule me on a couple panels, mm -hmm. and, and I'm good. And I'm a I'm a I'm a panel whore. I just, I don't like <laughs> downtime. I don't like to, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the dealer's room. I don't want to, you know, just if I'm there, let's, let's talk. I, I, I do best if I'm moderating a panel. Do you? Yeah, because yeah. then. I consider myself an agent of chaos. Well, I, I, <laughs> I like to be the guy that doesn't really know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And just like, so, Bob, yeah. you know, <laughs> tell us your thing, you know. Yeah. So that I don't have to ever actually explain anything. Um, I I I mean this next question with with respect. Uh, but <laughs> how how I'm very curious about things like the Stoker Awards, knowing that I'll never <laughs> ever be invited. Like, like but how uh, it works, or yeah, not only how it works, but do you feel like those kind of things are important to one's overall the arc of their career? It kind of depends, you know, in. In my mind, when I grew up writing, buying books like fantasy books and science fiction books, and I always saw Hugo Nebula award-winning author on the covers, mm -hmm. and I sort of noticed that, you guys. And I think the, pe the, the, the people that it matter to the most are the people who won the award, the people who didn't win the award that are pissed <laughs> off, and readers who don't have any, any idea at all what the freaking award is, but they see there's an award. Yeah. So, you know, those are the only three things that, you know, when we try to go for those book bub promotions and stuff, they seem impressed enough by it that it helps you to get the promotion. Mm. But but I don't know that it's ever really helped anyone sell any books. It certainly hasn't made me into a bestseller. <laughs> I've always wanted to, like, if, there's there's this thing that I've been trying to write forever and ever. And if I, if it ever, if I ever publish it, I've always wanted to put something like, Langley West, winner of the John Schwartz Award, sure. or something like that. And <laughs> see if anybody, see hey. if anybody even mentions it. Like uh, my, the my initial fiction sales, yeah. were all run through my agent Coco Schwartzwelder, <laughs> and Coco Schwartzwelder was my dog's first name and my mom's maiden name. And uh, Coco, Coco did really well oh, good. for me. See, see. Yeah, may the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, now we're getting into the part oh, that I'm very excited okay, about. Okay, <laughs> I, I always like to talk to people about process, and I want to talk to you about your process. You, you, uh, you write in a variety of of styles, and um, can you sort of take me through like? How does that happen? How, how, where does the I, I, I don't mean where did the idea come right, from. Right, right. But from the emotion, from the moment that you say, like, like you have that eureka moment, 
sort of just take me through that, if you would. Well, I, I tend to obsess a little bit if I if I get an idea like that. Like recently, I've got a whole bunch of books right now that are far enough in that I could say if I started working on this now, you know, in a month I could be done. Because I hit some point where I where I had this wonderful idea that I just could not not write. And at that point, I'll I'll go all over the internet. I'll I'll look for interesting things that you know that connect with it, and try to put together an arc. I like to have an outline. I know I won't follow it. Right. But I like to start with an outline that goes from beginning to end, and I sort of know how it ends. And I very rarely change the ending from the outline. Mm-hmm. And usually, about half, somewhere around halfway, it, it's completely off the rails. But that doesn't matter so much because you know I'm working towards an end. Right. At least like there's, the, there's that line through the snow that you can get. You know, it's like the thing, right? You're going from one building to another. Right. There's that line in the yeah. snow that you can get to. Yeah. At least get to the end. I'm pretty sure that it was that it was in the forward to a Ray Bradbury collection, but he was talking about he had a list of titles. And he just kept this list of like 50 titles and and his titles were like the and a word. <laughs> right. Wow. The really But I still have some some that 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 I'm waiting to use and and there's ones that I did use that were on that list forever like The Fall of the House of Escher. <laughs> <laughs> See, and, uh, turns out that Dick Bregbear and I both wrote that. We both wrote it in the same year, and they're absolutely nothing like each other wow. <laughs> at all. See, for me, it's always what just happened. You, you, you give me that slug line, right. and I, if, it, if it makes me laugh, it's like, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. We're, no we're on to something there. Well, we were reading about that stupid um, Ark Park in Kentucky because we were getting ready to go on vacation to Kentucky. <laughs> And it just and someone said that this guy it turned out to be true. Really believed that there were like arenas filled with dinosaurs that, and that people fought these dinosaurs back then, and they all lived at the same time. I saw an awesome immediately scene. in my head. I started thinking Jurassic Ark. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I've already got twenty thousand words of that book written yeah, about I'm a world where that's all true. It's it's. I took it seriously. I didn't write it as a joke or. A, it's just in that world. Noah's building a boat. There's dinosaurs. <laughs> Half the people are all sinful I because, I and uh, yeah, I just want to show them how ridiculous yeah. it would be if it was true. Yeah, I have no idea what this is going to be, but on that board back there it says the old man and the sea monster. Yes, and I just thought, yeah, yeah, he's going to have to hold on to that line for a really long time. For a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I just, but I just think it's one of those ideas that you just kind of go, you know, you know, it just sort of strikes your your fancy, and right. then. Um, sometimes I, it is just like wordplay. Yeah, you know, it's a pun or, or something yeah. that just makes you go. I love oh, puns. Yeah, yeah, well, because they they're so fertile, right? They yeah, yeah. they make you yeah. start spinning you off in these directions, and and then at first it's novelty, but then the next thing you know, it's turned into something. Yeah, another guy that used to be a president of HWA is Lawrence Watt Evans, and he and I were sitting in a hotel room drinking beer at some convention. The convention was weird. The guy had won the lottery. So he held his own convention in South Carolina, nice. and it was awesome. And we were taken from the from the bus station in a limousine so <laughs> to this place. It was awesome. But we were sitting on this bed and decided that he came up with this this law. Lawrence Watt Evans's law of fiction is there is no idea bad enough that a sufficiently talented writer can't make it work. Right? Isn't that what Eaters of the Dead? That's where that came from. Right. The well, the corollary to that law is that there is no idea so good that a sufficiently crappy writer can't screw it up <laughs> yeah. and we were going to write a story from the title 
for whom the bell curves. <laughs> it still hasn't happened, but we've talked about it several times now. Uh, I mean, aside from the, the 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 effects it has on depression, alcohol, man. Yes. <laughs> so many great ideas that that uh, that are spawned from just this. <laughs> but does that have anything to do with drinking alcohol, or is it just that all the creative people are always drinking alcohol? So when right. the idea hits, it seems that way. Yeah. Exactly. That's so funny. Um, uh, but it also it takes that certain personality to go, all right, now I'm going to spend the next <laughs> you know, week yeah. or four weeks or whatever to, to, to hone this into, into something that I can Sometimes use. Sometimes years. Sometimes years. I know a guy right now, he has such a great idea, and he's been working on this novel called The Postman for, mm-hmm. for as long as I've known him, and, and I knew him in my 20s. And you better hurry because the post office could go away and then yeah, people won't yeah. know what it's about. Yeah, yeah. No, the idea is, the, the, the general conceit of it was that since mailmen come to your house every day, they're the ones that they meld them with the police. Oh, uh, okay. And, yeah. It all stemmed off of us being stoned <laughs> and, and <laughs> him going, having a, um, getting porn in the mail and imagining someone kicking up his door and going, drop it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just so weird. Um, where do you do you get your influences? Are you a big film guy, or we, are you a reader primarily? Or I I read audiobooks because I don't have time to read anything else between the day job and the publishing and the formatting and all that. Um, we watch endless TV. Okay. And and we watch every superhero movie, science fiction movie, fantasy movie, and horror movie that comes out eventually. Yeah. I That's think. the great thing. Or as many as we can. <laughs> that there's so much of it. And there's, you know, uh, while we bemoan Netflix and their 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 bottom-heavy one-star horror films things, um, it's still this wealth of product that, right. you know, as a kid who remembers tape trading and pe- places like, if, if anyone out there remembers Video Search of Miami, Tom Weiser's company that used to bootleg stuff and, and send stuff around. Um, a lot of those Sean Lewis and the Rotten Cotton sure. Boys. Used to I used to I used to get a lot of movies from um, these guys. I can't remember what what their I can't remember what their name was, but it was all bootlegged tapes from um, China, mm. and that's how I saw all, all those great Hong Kong movies yeah, before yeah, yeah. they were you know available here. Of course, you had to put up with like you know crappy quality. Um, there were usually at least three lines of subtitles at the bottom. It was like, you know, there's one in Mandarin, there's one in Korean, there's one in English. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the subtitles were, the English subtitles were some of the best things about the movies. It's like, that's a great dress, thanks, I don't smoke. You know, it's just like yeah. stuff that didn't make sense <laughs> whatsoever. And you could always see at the top of the screen, there it was called flagging. Yeah, the so image like, would bend <laughs> from it being recorded and recorded. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how that turned into Google Translate over time. Yeah, yeah, it's am- it is amazing because it's, it's the same. <laughs> but I just remember, you know, um, like me growing up as a kid, it was it was all like I one of my first memories is of my grandfather. He used to sit there, and we would visit him, and he would sit there and go and just tell stories about coming over from England and no, no, no. Sure. And that quickly sort of, for me, dovetailed into reading and books and and now it's I look at it all as sort of just a construct by which you know whether it's a me it's a medium it's 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 right. film or it's even something like the Jay Munley talks things right 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 um, it's, it's all, all storytelling story. yeah, yeah absolutely um you know, we, often on here we talk about like what what's the first album we bought or something yeah. like that 
What uh, this here's a question we haven't done before, and it seems appropriate with David. David, do you remember the first book you ever bought, or book that was given to you that like was kind of a tr it was kind of a prized possession? Yeah. I, huh. You know, when I was younger, much younger, most of the books that I got were like Tom Swift and Hardy Boys and all that. So I'm older than you guys. <laughs> I, I bet you you're not. How old are you? Yeah, fifty-eight. Yeah, god damn it. By 57. <laughs> I was going to say, by I a win. year. Yeah, but um, <laughs> the, 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 probably the first book that I remember buying, the, the, about being really excited about it, was called Day of the Giants. I don't know if you've read that or not. Yeah, I know. It's, my, my head goes uh, right to land. Uh, yeah, the so do I. Like, land well, this, the it's not about giants at all, really. It's, it's, a, it's about a guy who is a Norse citizen, I guess, and, and he ends up being taken off to Valhalla by a Valkyrie in, in the beginning of the story and he's there and they're all, you know, they're getting ready for Ragnarok and they're all going to get their butts kicked and he ends up teaching them how to make gunpowder and, and doing all kinds of stuff and, and the battle goes much differently than it was supposed to. Oh! Wow. Um, and it was written by a guy who was a publisher and I wish I could, his name is just not popping into my head right now. Hmm. And I don't want to mess up Skype by going and looking it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that happens a lot. We, we do a lot of that guy but, uh, that was in that thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that one stuck with me for a long, long, long time. In fact, it was much many years later that I went back and looked it up to, to find it again. <laughs> but you did, didn't you? I did. Yeah. yeah. I'm afraid to read it again because it it probably wouldn't right. be the same. What is this? Do you I, remember yours? The well, I don't remember the first. Um, book that I owned, that, you know, that I bought, but I, I, sometime around that time when I started paying attention to books, you know, I, I'm paying, you know, what am I doing? I'm looking at Frank Frazetta covers and you know, you that go. kind of stuff. But I came across this book called Invasion, and it's by uh, it's by a guy named Aaron Wolf, which. Many, many years later, I found out it was a pseudonym for Dean Koontz. Oh, no, no <laughs> And uh, he had done that because it was his first foray into kind of horror. And he, I guess he had a career writing something else prior to that. I don't know what it was. Science fiction. Okay, well, he was worried that it wasn't going to be well-received, so he went with this, this pseudonym. And I don't like Dean Koontz generally. Um, I always thought of him as a lesser Stephen King. But this book... Really put Coons the hooks in me. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this book really put the hooks in me, and wow. it was the first book that I, it was the first book that I uh, shared, and my mom read it, which blew me, blew my mind. Right? right, my sister read it, and it, it takes place during this blizzard, and that was a particularly bad winter that year. Like mm -hmm. there was a lot of snow, and so it just it just. All these elements really just kind of cemented it in my sure. brain. Sure. Uh, I remember measles and Andromeda strain as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. listening to Tubular Bells, the Mike Oldfield record. Yeah. And just being like with this fever during reading this book and listening to this music. Um, but uh, but first book is right there at the very top of the shelf on the far left. 365 stories for 365 days. Cool. It, my grandmother gave it to me, and it was all about. It, it had little one-page stories about this family that lived in their neighborhood and it was like this little thing that you would read oh, that cool. and I got that in, in 1960 and um and a bible and they were both <laughs> salient <laughs> 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 they were like, both life changing events yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Oddly, I was in a book called 365 Scary Stories. Oh, yeah that that's uh, that was that old that giant thing that came out. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. huge. It was a, one of those Barnes and Noble books that's always on sale every year for. Yeah, it's. You know, I'm also in like a hundred vicious little vampires and a couple of the others, wow. but I have seven stories in 365. I wrote 17 and sold them seven. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I that's have that that's sitting on my shelf at home. Do you really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say I was hearing some talk about they were going to actually... Is it that one or... Uh, Mammoth. Yeah, there's another sort of scary stories thing that they're making into a film. Um, um, I know, that they've been trying to get for a while. David, do you know what we're talking about? It's got that... It had that awesome artwork. It's like watercolor. Yeah. Yeah. It was... Uh, it was. Uh, I think it was more of a children's People at home were like now going, You're yes. a moron! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things as I was looking over your bibliography is that uh, uh, you've written a couple books with your wife. Yes. Uh, how does that go? Um, it, it actually goes pretty well. We we tend to work well together, and neither one of us is too picky about the other person changing things. Mm. I mean, we wrote the Stargate book together because we both watched Stargate, and I knew that I didn't really have time to finish the whole thing. Right. But I had a chance to do the book, so we wrote that one together. That's, that's great, and, uh, yeah. I just but the, the most recent one with the, that, remember Bowling Green, The Adventures of Frederick Douglass, Time Traveler. <laughs> I love that. We wrote that in about a month. I bet. We wrote that in about a month, and we're giving almost all the money to the ACLU, but, but that was fun. <laughs> Very cool. Um, that begs the question, is, is your wife a writer? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how we met. The first thing that that we ever did together before we dated or anything, we wrote a screenplay together. Wow. Yeah, my wife would. I know my wife would kill me, not because she's unreasonable, just because I'm a dick. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and she, would, she would just kill me. <laughs> and the people that know my wife know know that that's very. True. I have wondered if she writes or anything because it seems like I deal with her as much as you uh, about your books, but I've never seen anything yeah, other no, than she, interviews. She does. She does great. Um, she uh, the, she used to do this uh, spooky parenting column um, for us in Carbon Octum, and it was great. It, it was really really great stuff. Uh, and she interviewed Ronnie James Dio for Carbon Octum. <laughs> that was pretty great. My life rocks. Yeah, I just find that. Uh, do you find collaboration easy? I do, but sometimes um, sometimes I'm disappointed that I've gotten into it because a lot of the times when I collaborate, it's my idea. Mm. and I'll see something go in a direction that I don't really want it to go. Mm. And a couple of stories that I've done that I wish had been better, but I've got a whole book out there called Joined at the Muse, and all it is is collaborations I've done with Brian Keane and Mark Rainey and wow. tons of other... Brian Hopkins and I wrote whole books of stuff together. We were we were good at it together, but we did... <laughs> it's different with him because if you rewrite his chapter, he'll go back through it word for word, and you'll find stuff put back. <laughs> <laughs> so I just did the same thing and we'd do it one chapter at a time like that and we came out with stories that neither one of us would ever have written yeah I would think that by the it's that finding level mm -hmm. you know and I think yeah. that that is in essence the core at the core of all writers it's like you work you don't work it's not it's not that you when you paint something I don't mean to be little painting and drawing because I know that you paint and drawing you can you're going to punch me in the head but 
Um, uh, I think that you, it's a, it's a, a, a drawing is a capture of a moment, not a moment in time, but a, a, a small period in time. It takes mm-hmm. you a week to do a thing. But when you're working on something for like a year, mm-hmm. you're you're making it's little it's tapping here and tapping there, sure. and, and over time it becomes even the stuff I look at what I do and I just go I don't even I don't even know that guy mm-hmm. because it's so not. Um, you would drive me crazy. <laughs> you would drive me. I don't think I I don't think I've ever written a book that took me a year except for the one that I quit writing on for like eight years and then came back to recently. Yeah. No, I worked on I worked on No Flesh Shall Be Spared for four or five years just because okay. the entire it started as a two thousand word short and I just was gonna try it and I just kept adding to it and then every time you added something and another like a B plot line. You'd have to go back and hammer it all out again, right? Because that affected. I would do it because I was so unsure of what I was doing. Because I thought I was a. I'll be honest. I thought I was like a. I was bullshitting. I was bullshitting my way into the room, and um, uh, uh, and so I was just unsure of myself. I think we all feel like that at some point with with what we're doing. Is like you know, at some point, you feel like you know, in the beginning, you feel like a tourist. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. that, and and that you're not, you're not really, you're not really one of the tribe, whatever that tribe is. Yeah, any minute you're expecting that tap on the shoulder. Yeah, goes, like, you, you really need to come <laughs> with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially me, because it's like no, I'm whatever. But I'm 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 a bigger, I'm louder than mm-hmm. than 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 a lot of writers, and it and it, and it can come off as being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. I remember uh, my friend Eric, Eric Thurm, uh, uh, yes. is a writer, and we used to do this exercise where we would mail each other back and forth, and it's like he'd write a paragraph, mm-hmm. right, and then he'd send it to me, and I would write like another paragraph. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the deal was neither of us could change. Wherever the other one was taking the It's like story. the online thing about like uh, you add words. Yeah. Everyone add words. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it goes some ridiculous places, but it's fun, and yeah. I think it's it's good because it forces you to it, it. It's like it's like anything. It forces you to adapt and create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I always go ahead, David. I was gonna say when I used to publish a magazine called The Tome back in the late '80s and early '90s. Um, I went a couple times to like Elizabeth Massey's house where she had a thing called Pseudocon, which was just about 10, 12 writers that got together, and we always did those. Oh. And uh, they almost never, <laughs> they almost never come up with anything useful. Yeah. We did write one that we published in the tome called Pseudofiction at one point. Wow. But that ended up having Mr. Peanut in it and all kinds of stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, bringing up Elizabeth Massey, I will. She talk about authors that you you remember that. Because they they got you, uh, her story of bed um, mm. in the in the Skip Inspector zombie books is breathtaking, and her book Sin Eater is so good. Yes. Um, and but you don't you never hear that name get dropped. It's one of those litmus tests for me. When I hear that name, I go ah okay yeah, we're in that. There's room. there's a better story of hers if you haven't read it. It's a. Uh, it was published in Death Realm, and now the name of the stupid story Smooth Picks. Okay. Smooth Picks is one of the stories that I have always said, you know, would be in the top 10 or 15 stories that I've ever read. 
And there's a whole group of people from that era that have like that one story for me. Mm-hmm. But that was definitely it for her. In the story, there's a guy. He's in a an asylum or or some kind of a home, and uh, one of the girls in there can't really think well. Inside her head, you know, she she knows things, but she talks like slurs and and all this. And this guy, in the end, he kills everybody. And then at the end, he's able to use um, acupuncture because he learned it in the war. And he does something that allows that person who wasn't able to speak to speak clearly and leaves them there to take the wow take oh, the wow. fall wow wow yeah see but when they pull the when they pull the pins back out they won't be able to speak again so it's just, it was just creepy it just gave me nightmares after that <laughs> wow so that's, yeah. you know, that's the stuff the effect you can only dream about right you know? yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um let's see about publishing a, a bit um uh what First of all, what was it that made you decide to uh, uh, embark on Crossroad Press? And um, overall, was it a reaction to how the market is is and was um, that that made you decide to to do that? It became a reaction to that, but it started with just me wanting. To, I figured out how to. to format an ebook because I am a web designer and an IT guy and thought I'd better get my books out as ebooks because it's starting to mm-hmm. really take off and, and I didn't want to get left behind. Two or three of my friends noticed that I was doing it and that I could do it and asked if I would do theirs and it was like, well, I can't do it for free because I'll never get anything written. <laughs> I'll never write again if I do that. Mm-hmm. So I picked up two or three people here and there and it just kind of s- turned into an avalanche that that hasn't really slowed down at all. I mean, there are at least two people today that, that want to come on board. Publishers keep dying, and we keep picking up all the pieces. And mm-hmm. and at this point, it is. I, I, I literally hate the old New York City model. It, every time I think about it, when I think about all the cascading things that are wrong with it and how these people defend it, it just drives me through <laughs> fits of anger. Yeah, yeah, and. It's- it's a good time for that. I mean, because so many people can, especially with things like Amazon Shorts. You, you know, I, uh, I see Lansdale doing that a lot, where he'll put up a, a single story for ninety nine cents, mm-hmm. and that's one of those. Yeah, but that's Lansdale. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. If I put that same story up, I won't make ninety nine cents. Right. Right. <laughs> and as we were talking beforehand um, about, there's so many voices in the room now that that's that's the the, the chore is that <laughs> get it being heard. Right. Yeah, visibility is the key, and p- people do all these things. That all these people out there say they'll help you promote your ebook or your book or whatever, and 99% of it is bullshit that costs you money, mm-hmm. and none of them are selling any books. They're just taking you on blog tours to a bunch of people who will sign up to win a free book, most of whom have their own blog that are also on the blog tour. You yeah. know, so they can charge you money, and nothing comes of it. If you don't get your book in front of someone that didn't know it was there before, it's a waste of effort. Right, right. And it's and those champions, man, they're 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 so hard to find and but so important. Um, uh, and and so like we we spoke with Brett Savory on the I show. love Brett. Right. Yeah, He's I another guy I collaborate with a lot. Do you? Yeah, some of the best things I've ever written I wrote with Brett. Yeah. He's just a monster, you know. Um uh <laughs> uh you and he's got a great band. I Yeah, I've I've heard a little of it. Yeah, it's I I didn't 
we talked a little bit about it on the right. shows, I remember. But yeah, the band's great. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, uh, he seems to be like yourself. He seems to be one that 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 seems to have picked the lock and is and is uh, is moving forward. You know. It's, it's well, he's he's definitely done a lot with with his press. Right. Right, right. The thing that I love about Crossroad is like it's it's such a an honorable room, you know. When you when you look over the stuff that that's there, it's like, geez, you know, you see you know Barker and Hutchinson and, and and these names that, for me as a you look, you talk about the books that influenced you as a right. kid. You know, you, it just starts tw- twanging on all those, all those chords. Yeah, it's 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 cool to be included, in a group that you're a fan of. Mm. You know, that's. It's like being asked to dance, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like that first anthology where you get in and, and then you read the contents list and see, you know, Stephen King's in this book, right? <laughs> you know, nobody's going to buy this book because of my story, but because right, of right. Stephen King, they might read my story. And that's that's really all you can ask, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, that's the I've always said that's the hard part about, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about. You know, you show someone your song, or you show someone your 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 artwork, or whatever, and you get an instant reaction. With writers, it's like I'll see you in a month, and yeah. maybe you'll go, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> you know, speaking to getting getting your 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 work in front of, I don't want to say product, but getting your work in front of somebody um, is. Incredibly difficult. It's so hard. It's like it's, it's that noise. Out of it's like it's. I mean, like you know, you write a screenplay. Like you know, you 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 don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics, and you <laughs> don't ask somebody to read your damn screenplay <laughs> yeah. because yeah. those are the things that are going to get you booted but, from the table. But you know what's really critical is, especially is is that last one is that to that guy. Someone, re- someone reading your stuff, even at the early stages. I always ask people to do do like all I need you to do is an "Am I crazy?" Right. Like, look it, at this like, and tell me like, "Am I nuts?" Yeah. And if not, then I'll continue. Yeah. Don't tell me about like like I'm not at that stage, and you're not the person I would ask for this anyways. Yeah. I just need to know. Here's this. Here's this. Do you want to know more? Yeah. Is the conceit enough? Right. That you're gonna, you would go. Yeah. Does this have legs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, uh, so, I want to get back to that process stuff again. Uh, so, I like. I just went re went through uh, book one grammar stuff because I always feel like I forget that shit. Um, <laughs> is that? Uh, how important is that to you as, as someone who reads someone's work being submitted for, for consideration? Um, are you willing to work with people through, like, will you give them the better writer whose grammar skills are a little wonky? Will you give them a leg up? Um, or do you, do you want it as, as uh, pristine as possible? Asking for well, a friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, you... You know how we work, and, and we have a very small staff, so we don't really work with new writers very much, almost never, as a matter of fact. And uh, the reason is not that we don't want to, it's just that we just don't have the time or the people to do it, because what you have to do with a new book and how you edit that and, uh, and the work you go through and all the questions you've got to answer, and it's not the same thing as someone that's got 15 
books on a backlist and you're going to scan them and proofread them and put them back out, which is mostly what we do. Mm-hmm. So, but for me, it's very important because the cleaner we get it, you know, the less of that pain we have to go through to get through to the point where we can actually publish it. And, and it ir- irritates the crap out of me that people won't go and learn. I have one author, I'm not going to name him, but if he hears this podcast, he knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> they absolutely will not learn the difference between this, I mean, that and which. <laughs> Just almost almost to a fault every single time. He's better now. And he's learning He's learning to not turn it into me that way. But, uh, you know, it takes a lot of time, and it takes you completely out of the story when, when you're listening to that in an audio book or something, and, and it's not right. Yeah. Uh, I'm so used to, I've read so many people for so many years that, you know, had the copy editors. And the, and, and this is another thing about the big publishers. They can tell you all they want about how the, their processing includes all this grammatical checking and stuff, but we've been going through some scans recently of published New York City novels, and they're absolutely full of typos. They, yeah. they weren't as much better as they said they were. I always, I always enjoyed finding typos in, in, and things like that in the books I was reading because it made me think, well, fuck, they're not perfect. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and that, there's, there's the, the central conceit of all of that. Yeah, exactly. Of all art. Yeah. Right? It's like, I can do that. Yeah. I suspect a lot of authors in the older days, like the 70s and the 80s, were exactly as you suggested, and that they needed a lot of help to get that story to the books mm-hmm. that people read. Because I've worked with a couple of them, and I, I'll, I'll mention Derry Williamson again. I, I never did anything with any of his novels, but he sent me a short story once for my magazine. And uh, it was corrected with like little pieces of correction tape stuck over words on the pages so that it wouldn't have to retype things and you know squiggle things and lines and letters going all over the place. Wow. And it was turned in that way and expected to be the final, and I think that's probably because that's the way he worked with publishers. Sure. I, so. I, I was going to say, I, I, I bet you're right. I, I'm willing to bet that at one point um, pub, that was that may have even been part of the publisher's job. It's like, look, you're giving me this raw this raw piece, you know, this raw sculpture mm-hmm. that we can't really put out in the world in this form, and our staff are the people who go in and and finish the little details on it, or you know, correct right. this. Someone was there, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just figured that it had been years since I went through all that stuff, uh-huh. and um, I started to think of it like, well, you know, it's you, it's periodically you should go back and and check your tools, right? And, right. And and figure, and going through it, it was just like, oh. <laughs> You know, you, you, it just reminds you of stuff because it's easy. That drift is easy to happen, right? It is, right? <coughs> because we, eh, it's okay to use a comma here, yeah. Yeah, because we, I mean, yeah. you know, we speak differently than we write, and after a right. while, it's really easy to start writing how you speak. I mentioned it before, but um, just my understanding that you know, Kate, the author Caitlin Kiernan has a great model where she writes in the morning, Monday mornings she writes, Monday afternoon they take Sunday's words print two copies out, her and her partner, uh, the partner reads her words back to her, sure. and she sits with a copy of it with a pen and makes corrections that way, and they leapfrog yeah. down the road. And 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 uh, and you, if you've ever read Caitlin, you know how that turns out. Sure. Fucking amazing. Yes. Yeah. She's so I love good. her work. 
So good. Her and all... I just remember the... I used to tell... I was just telling someone about the Furies. It was Caitlin, Krista Faust, and Poppy. And um, how at one point they were putting out just take no prisoners kind of kind of content. Um, Poppy's Calcutta Lord of Nerves is just amazing, you know? Yeah. She, she was another of those authors that had a story that, that stuck on my list long, long ago. And that was from Borderlands, I think. Um, His Mouth Shall Taste of Wormwood. Yeah. First thing of hers I'd ever oh. written or read, and, and that hooked me. I was... And yeah. the serial killer novel was, was one of my favorites. Exquisite Corpse, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know who's another one guy like that is um, Brian Hodge. Yep, we publish his books too. Hodge, <laughs> Hodge is uh, uh, the dripping from sundered wineskins and Godflesh. It's in the Convulsion Factory. Jeez, it's just so <laughs> good that you just kind of go like, and I speak to Brian periodically, you know, and and we he used to write for us at Carpenter and stuff, and I. It's always just like, you know, you can't just go, but seriously, yeah, <laughs> you're really good, and yeah. that was really badass, badass. but um, if you haven't found those things, those those things, what are some of those other ones, uh, other titles on that list that I'm, that I don't, won't be, I will we'll be writing down <laughs> in a second? <laughs> well, Wayne Allen Sally wrote Blind and Blue. Mm. That's another story, also from Death Realm. Um let me think for a few minutes. There's there's one um, Harlan Ellison story, and I'm I'm going to admit this, and, and I've gotten in trouble on on Harlan before, but I'm just not as huge a Harlan Ellison fan as everyone else is. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Harlan Ellison fan, but I'm a, his writer writing is something else. Yeah, I'm a Harlan Ellison yeah. person fan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but I can go with that. The yeah. pissed off guy. I like that my, guy. My best answering machine ever was from. Harlan Ellison when he was trying to fax me a copy of a story of his for an award thing <laughs> and could not get my system to work and tried like 17 times in a row and then left me a message if you want the fucking story just just call me and email me and I'll send it to you yeah, yeah I, it was uh, hilarious that documentary they did I think it's called Dreams with Teeth yes him bitching about getting Pay the, pay the writer. Yeah, man. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. We post that thing often. All the time. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's, it's not just, it's like, this is, oh, this guy's been in the trenches. And I like, I like his ability. I always like writers and, and artists that have that, I call it that, like, Thompson quality. That sort of, like, I may be erratic and I may be all of these things, mm-hmm. but here's the finished product. Sure. You know, um, it, it's just amazing stuff. The story of his that I did like was Scartorus, and there's a date that comes after that, from Borderlands 1, I think. Okay. Mm. It was about a god, and, you know, it was it's kind of like an American gods. You know, it's been years and years, and nobody really believes in them anymore, and he starts out on an airplane somewhere. Just a brilliant story. Wow. And that uh, reminds you of, uh, have you, uh, there was a book going around at one point, J. Amson's 666, and I always remember it was a rapture yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it begins yeah. with a bunch of people on a plane. <laughs> Why do you say rapture with such sarcasm? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, if, only it, if only it would happen and take them all away. <laughs> but it, it, it raptures up like the entire flight crew, and, and they're on a plane. So now people are like struggling to like... Yeah. Like, quick, get us a stewardess. <laughs> the <laughs> stewardess is flying the plane. Where's Karen Black when you need her? Wow, <laughs> uh, wow. Well. Well, yeah, you know, um, but it was good. I just remember reading as a kid, 
reading it was one of those little pieces of here kid you should read this by the local right um minister guy and and uh that scene was so riveting it's like the beginning of um uh, Del Toro's The Strain. Yes. You know, the plane landing with no one aboard. Yeah. Uh, alive aboard. It's so good. Uh, let's see. Let me just look up their pages now. <laughs> uh, what are you working on now? Um, well, I told you about the one. I've, mm-hmm. I've got Jurassic Arc in progress. Yeah. I'm also writing the next book from my Donovan DeChance series, which is probably the most popular thing that I've got going. And then I have probably the best book that I've ever written. <laughs> it's another of those ones that's been sitting for a long time called Tattered Remnants. Mm. It's a sort of a serial killer, not really book. And uh, that one came from, from strange stories like you were talking about earlier. I um, don't know if you remember back when Bloodletting Books was doing a lot of limited editions. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to forget. Chris, Chris, some, Chris Hedges did these hand-bound books. And just just beautiful editions, and all of his books were just handmade. And he and I got to talking about this, and the, and it plays into the book. And there's a guy in the book that's made a a book out of rats, but his book about rats and the entire binding is made from bones and leather from rats. Wow. He also wrote a book about his grandfather, <laughs> but he's not the serial killer. <laughs> Wait, he's not so, the serial killer. Okay, so that so that. <laughs> I just imagine, and he made a book and out of his made a book grandfather's out of his, his skin. skin. I'm like, yeah. really? Well, it never, it never is said that he did that, but the book is on the shelf, so it's implied. <laughs> and uh, the first part of that's going to be in Shivers Eight coming out real soon here from, or Shivers, I think it's Shivers Eight from Cemetery Dance. Oh. Like chapter one is a novella that's going to come out. Wow! But, uh, I'm wor- working on that. The, the Donovan DeChance stuff. I I used to write for White Wolf a lot. And uh, the most irritating thing about writing for someone like White Wolf is that they have all these rules, and they want your character to stay within the boundaries of what that type of character would do in the game. And they hated me because I never did that. What fun is that? And, uh, right. Yeah, well, and it just got to the point where, at one point, where I thought, I'm going to write a series using all the stories that they said you can't write <laughs> about my own character. So it's yeah. basically White Wolf novels that I would write if there was no White Wolf. And they've been really popular, so I used to know a it's kind of cathartic. A guy that used to work for White Wolf, and back in back in like the nineties, uh, he's the guy that sat me down and, and he just grabbed me by the shoulder and he's just like, "IP," and he just explained intellectual property. Sure. And I just like, oh really? Like my it was like a whole right. world opened up, and you were like, because he, he was the one who was saying like, "You protect them, protect them like they were your kids," and I'm like, that sounds like Stewart or Bill. Uh, God, I forget his name. He was a goth kid. Oh, Bricado? No, not not Phil. I, I love Phil. Phil Phil does Crypticon with us all the time. Um, not to yeah. get his name. It might Rich have been. Dansky. It might have been Paul. Sounds familiar. If Kat was here, she would know. Um, but yeah, I just remember him, him him explaining it to me and 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 saying like, you know, once the hard part is is estab- you establishing your wor- the, the world, and once you've done that. There's nothing says that you can't go back. I'm going back now to to something. Yeah, you know what I mean, so yeah, exactly. all of my books tie together. Really, almost everything. Almost everything I've ever written is there a ties inverse? together. There is. It was never an intention, but you know, I wrote. I came up with two or three settings: Old Mill, North Carolina, San Valencia, California, and Random Illinois. 
a lot of different things happened in those things in different books that had really nothing to do with each other but now they seem to tend to blend together like this book that I'm working on right now it's it's, it's so ambitious that I probably have been slow because I'm afraid I'm going to screw it up because I, I wrote Callie's Tale which was the last Donovan the Chance book and it ends it ends with Donovan explaining to the other people how he met Edgar Allan Poe which led to the book Nevermore mm-hmm. which takes place right there in that same area and at the end of Nevermore we leave um, the girl that became Lenore trapped as a spirit in a tree and Edgar Allan Poe is traveling through time through these um, caverns under the earth and just keeps coming up with these stories Wow. And cool. and there was a princess that was there, and she was taken away by a sorceress, and that ends up at the end in my novel Darkness Falling. They're going back to the city where that happened, so it's it's crazy. All all these things have just converged into this one story. And the beauty of that is that you, down the road, you can always take these two random characters and you put them in a room, sure, and you see what happens. Well, and the other thing about that is that's really smart. Is readers love that shit like yeah. they love you know it's the marvelization realizing like, that yeah. well they love realizing that uh, you know this family from uh, this this family from uh, um, Castle Rock we'll, yeah. we'll use yes. that as an example sure. right ha- is, you know their relative is the person who's in this story then mm-hmm. that connects to the person in this story and so on <laughs> and so forth He's sort of the king of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wonder if that is about that sometimes. Like, is this is this for ease of just going like, well, they know that world, and I know that I. Uh, I don't think so. He's mentioned a couple times, like when he brought back the the people from Salem's Lot, that people had asked questions, and then in the Gunslinger series, he was able to resolve them. Mm. Ah. So you know, sometimes I think you you just get something caught back in your head you wonder well why didn't I that so well and I, I think it's also I think it's a way to deal with uh, not being overwhelmed so yeah. if I'm if I've got a million stories in my head and I'm trying to get them out if I start thinking of them that way I may go crazy mm-hmm. but if I think of them as all one big story one big project everything I do is part of this one big project you know, well, and they may be novel. and they may be very different, but in my head, there's something, mm-hmm. you know, that's keeping it all together. That's that's how I used to like I like, you know, I, I was sculpting, I was writing scripts, I was mm-hmm. you know doing all this different stuff, painting, and I'm like I'm I'm gonna go out of my mind, and then I decided you know what these are all these are all the same and part they're all the part of what bigger thing yeah yeah exactly. yeah yeah it makes it easier yeah. for me. No, it doesn't always work out for King because I know that novel of his, Insomnia. A lot of people don't like that book, uh-huh. and every time they somebody tells me that, I say, "Did you read the Dark Tower series?" Right. Uh, exactly. If the answer is no, they don't understand why that was a good book. It was yeah, a great uh, book. By the way, I love Insomnia. I think it's yes, the the the, the doctors are, yeah. are are one of my favorite literary constructs that I've ever King, read. King is, and we talked about this on the King episode, it's like he's so good at like just these little pieces that, that somehow form an entire character. Right. And, and you run with it. And uh, um, at this point, I'll put the obligatory message to Frank Darabont to make Long Walk. Because um, <laughs> we always talk about that. I think our I think our King Kong references are now becoming Frank Darabont Long King Walk Yo. references. And now yeah. we've made them both. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
glad to be part of a tradition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it always works out that way. Um, uh, uh, and what about Crossroad? They're they're just a continuing their their production schedule, correct? You mean? Yeah, as far as as far as you, there's there's no sign of the the flow of Crossroad stuff. Not I'm ebbing. Oh no, we're we're always behind a little bit. And then there's always new stuff popping in that kind of bumps some stuff, and you know, it's it's really it's really uh, active right now. And we've got a lot of newer writers with newer series, plus we've got the OCLT series that I write for and Aaron Rosenberg writes for, mm-hmm. um, that also ties into the Donovan Chance books and everything else. So now I've tied in another author that's also part of it. But uh, Charles Phipps writes, you know, and this is a guy that that we. We picked him up because I was listening to the audiobooks that, that my um, audio engineer friend and narrator, Jeff Kafer, he was the narrator. So I was listening to the first one and absolutely loved these snark supervillainy books that he writes. So, you know, I see. But, but the first one I heard, there was a couple of problems with it. And I said, you know, I wish that had been ours because I would have fixed that. And he said, well, I'll introduce you to the guy. And now we've published his Cthulhu Armageddon series, his... Um, three or four series that he's writing currently and now those are all going to tie together <laughs> but he's yeah. he's an amazingly funny writer I, I love the way he handles stuff and that super villainy series is something that everybody should read just because every reference to every pop culture thing that ever happened is in those books they even told the supervillain at one point to be like Elsa and let it go. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that. So we, we were talking about the Ready Player One trailer that, that went up and all, right. the, all the pop references. People love that stuff, that yeah. sort of meta. Um, what was the impetus to jump into audiobooks? I, I just wanted to say, you know, I listened to audiobooks back in the not too past, far past, maybe eight years or so. I commuted two hours every day so I listened to audiobooks all the time and it just bugged me that none of mine had ever been an audiobook so I hired Jeff the guy that's that works with us as an audio engineer now to do my novella Rolling Bones that came out from Cemetery Dance and then we developed a system where we could trade we could share the royalties with the authors and the narrators mm-hmm. and suddenly ACX appeared which which is Audible doing exactly what we were doing, only with money enough to make it work. Wow. And uh, we jumped right both feet into the ACX world where, you know, you don't have to have a buttload of money to do an audiobook, but you can still have some amazing... You wouldn't believe the success of the Barker books. Well, maybe you would. Oh, I bet. But there's, there's a narrator named Simon Vance, and he's won every single award in the history of audiobooks. He's amazing. He's a British guy. And, uh, he did Imagica. I think it was either Imagica or Weave World. And Audible did a promotion. They never do this, but every once in a while, they do. And they did one for that and didn't tell either one of us. <laughs> and I got an email from him one night, and all it said in the entire email was, Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I rushed over to look at the thing. There's like thousands of sales on this book in like two days. Wow. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And, and for me, it's mostly just because I love audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Half the books I publish, I never would have read if I didn't get a chance to listen to the audiobook. Wow! And the these days, stuff. The, the you you're right. You can do it. You can. I put up a couple of readings um, on my site. Um, there was up a couple of shorts, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and it was remarkably easy to do. Yeah, you know, it's essentially what we're doing right now. Right. 
Um, except as long as you can get a narrator, you know. Yeah. That yeah. was the funnest part of 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 doing my audiobook was the getting you you sent along some files of people reading certain passages, <laughs> and it was right. great. It was it was so great. Well, yeah, I'm still kind of upset that yours didn't do better, but I'm fair certain that, that there's a kind of a different dynamic with people who listen to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that extreme horror dynamic was there at all at that point. Right. And that was some pretty brutal curse and stuff, and especially because we chose that first part for the you know, for the audio sample. Sure. I'm afraid that some people just, just never got past that. Right. And Chris yeah. Patton is an amazing narrator. Yeah, he's great. I, I love that guy. He did my book, Deep Blue, which is was my Stephen King, Kuntz book. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the most popular book I've ever written, but still I don't... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I just remember someone at one point going like, "If you start with Zombie Baby, yeah." <laughs> well, that's but, why you know, that's what you do. Well, that's why that's that's why I now I listen to the audio book, but that's why I dig your book. Is well, one of the reasons why I dig your book is because right off the bat, I get, I get you. punched in the face. <laughs> it's like yeah. bam, and I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" This is an author who doesn't care yeah. about me, and that's great. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I suddenly get really uncomfortable right now. Um, I'm happy to talk. Let's talk about David. Uh, yeah, but I just think that I've, I'm a guy that, while I listen to a ton of podcasts, I've not ever tried audiobook. The only audiobook I've ever heard was uh, Max Brooks's World War Z, and I like that because every chapter it's told in a by a different person, and so we got a bunch of different people. Yeah, it, and and I like that in in audiobooks as well, where it's like. Um, it's not a dramatization, but there, you know, like if I if, if I listen to Lord of the Rings, I want it read to me by some, you know, English upper crust, you know, have actor. You heard, have you heard the audiobooks of that with Jim? Um, how was his name? Belushi. <laughs> no, Jim Jim Dance or something. He's an old guy. He's, he's a really famous narrator, and he's also the guy that did the the narration and. In uh, like TV movies and stuff, but if when he does the Lord of the Rings, and he also did the Harry Potter books, wow. you hear, you hear the voice of the guy from the movie. Sure, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. exact. I mean, he doesn't do it exactly. He doesn't go into like character voices, but you know, you can hear Hagrid, and Hagrid sounds like Hagrid. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. That's what I you know, and and that's what I need in an audiobook. I don't I I don't need somebody. Just quote reading, unquote, to just reading to me. Yeah, yeah, that's horrible. And that's what people don't understand. There's so many people that want to be narrators. Yeah, ACX is full of people trying to become narrators. Mm-hmm. But what the the older guys will tell them, the guys that have done really well, is this is acting. Mm. You have to learn how to act. You have to learn how to get into these characters. If you don't have a lot of voices, you've got to learn how to make a tone change to go from male to female. I think the hardest thing that I've seen, and, and there's a few people who do it really well, is for female narrators to do male characters. Hmm. sometimes it just doesn't work and sometimes it does um, Gigi Shane did my book Nevermore and you know Edgar Allan Poe one of the main characters in that book and she just did a wonderful job but uh, I've heard a couple of famous books who's that one that does the um, K. Scarpetta books is, is she the one that does the A for Alibi and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She, wrote another, she tried to start another series about some detective in uh, some female detective in Richmond, Virginia, and when the lady who narrated the book did this one voice, it sounded like Droopy. 
from the old cartoon. <laughs> I could never get past it. It was just horrifying. That was her, yeah. her scary redneck voice was droopy. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That uh, well, uh, how, are peop- how do people go about getting in contact with you? Best way to contact me is just publisher at crossroadpress.com mm-hmm. or and David at crossroadpress.com. And the, uh, and the, it, it is crossroadpress.com. Right, not not no S on the crossroad because there's a there's a publisher out there that's a religious publisher that's Crossroads Press, Ooh. and I have gotten their emails and phone calls before, and I'm sure they've gotten some of mine. <laughs> Very odd moments. I bet this isn't anything like I <laughs> thought it was going to be. <laughs> I got complained about some treatise about some Catholic thing from you know the 1700s. I'm like. If you got that from my press, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to know what dimensional door you came through. <laughs> that's so amazing. That's so, uh, well, that's awesome. Well, well, David, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're you're one of those people that we we always thought about ha- having on, and I'm just glad it it worked out. Yeah, well, I'm glad to be here. It was fun. It's right, a good time. Well, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm uh, listening. <laughs> uh, we're gonna take a break. And we're going to be back in a second. Bam. Open the doors and let all the little ones in. Don't make them wait. It's a happy time there. After today is Children's Day at the morgue. Look at the smiles and red rosy cheeks. Here they come right through the gate. Hear the sound of joy. Yours laughter today is Children's Day at the morgue. I love to see them at play, but it moves me to tears. Have to be sure that they don't take away souvenirs. The little dears, there will be ice cream, candy, and cake and balloons. Don't you be late. Come along and bring the family. Today is Children's Day at the morgue. them at play, but it moves me to tears. Have to be sure that they don't take away souvenirs. The little dears, there will be ice cream, candy, and cake and balloons. Don't you be late. Come along and bring the family. Today is Children's Day. I say it's Children's Day. Hurry, it's Children's Day at the morning. Okay, so we're back, um, David. Awesome, yeah. good guy, good guy, and and I, I'm really lucky um, that, that they 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 like it, what I do enough to, to put it out. If, you, if for listeners, I don't think we specifically said it, but that the Crossroad Press is are the people who publish Tom's books. Yeah, and yeah. but the thing is, if you go to Crossroad Press and you're into ebooks, it's just there's so much good stuff there, and, yeah. and it's a lot of 
new stuff, but it's also a lot of, like, older, as he was saying, you know, publishers go out of business and they pick up the rights to things and they make things available that for a long time weren't available. Right. And they're great stuff. Uh, let's see, moving on to news and stuff. A um, couple of deaths to talk about. A uh, couple that were really surprising. Uh, the first one, uh, we're going to mention a guy named Marty Sklar. He was a Disney animator. Right. Um, advanced, fairly advanced in age, but... Yeah. Um, Important dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, important to be message mes- mentioned. Um, and then um, Michael Johnson died. Um, bluer th- than blue. Bluer than blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big song, and and uh, um, uh, I've been singing it to much to Jen's <laughs> <laughs> dismay. It's one of those things where it's there's a couple of names in here that I'm going to mention um, that. Uh, it just sort of reaches back and grabs on to that nostalgia nerve that, we yeah. have and just go like, oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, June Foray, voiceover artist, did Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. And, um, you don't get to the job of voiceover actor without going through June Foray. Yeah. Um, and then an, uh, an artist named January Seraph. She was a, a, a fetish film uh, actress. Right. Did a lot of work for Kink.com. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know what Kink.com is, shame on you. <laughs> um, but it's, it starts out, it's always those films that start out with that big foundry in San Francisco. Right. Did a lot of fetish stuff, a lot of bondage. And, that and place closed points. down yeah. just like last year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Supposedly they're going to turn it into something else. Which, to this day, I don't know about most people, whenever I see that building... I just go, yeah. all right, all right yeah. <laughs> some, some shit's about to go down. And then finally, this is the name I was mentioning that that you know hit that nostalgic nerve. Um, the name Patty Deutsch. She was a uh, um, a regular on this in the seventies on shows like Match Game and all this uh, those kind of things. Sure. She was a pseudo celebrity, had a nasally voice. Um, Look her up. If you see a picture of her, you'll go, "Oh, oh my God, yeah. her!" Yeah, she was, uh, but she just she just passed after a lengthy um, battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. Moving on to news, uh, Matt Groening has a new show coming out. Matt Groening of Simpsons and future sure. of him. It's called Disenchantment with Abby Jacobson from Broad City and Eric Andre. Do we know anything about it? No. Not the, I, the article I read didn't didn't was basically just announcing the casting. It was exactly. more it was more exciting just the fact that he was doing something. Yeah, like and it. you know, uh, I remember the trouble that they had getting Futurama off the ground, and um, then suddenly it's like uh, Family Guy, right? You know, it, it gets canceled, it gets brought back. Yeah, but I think Granig is he definitely has a has a, a way of looking at things that I think like. Seth MacFarlane. Sure, sure. That, um, who, by the way, I just saw a trailer. We didn't talk about the trailer, but a new trailer for the Oracle. For that that yeah. Star Trek thing. The Star Trek looking thing. I like the idea. I mean, there's a lot of money there. It mm-hmm. looks good. Um, I don't know if it's funny. Yeah. I don't know. But I guess we'll have to see. It, it was. It performed well on the um, um, at Comic Con. Okay. A lot of the, the audience seemed to be into it. Uh, we had talked about how a guy named Mahershala Ali, who was in Moonlight, was being considered for third season mm-hmm. True Detective, and they just they could. And now it. it's confirmed, yeah. And that's good, good to hear. I was watching um, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button again the other night, and, mm. and I and and we were all like, "That's the." We all realized that was the first time we had ever seen him. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. yeah, he played Queenie's husband, Mr. Weathers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great movie. That is a great movie. You know, I... I, I it's on my list the, on the list of people we want to get on the show. One uh-huh. of the names is Brian Sight. Um, yeah, we Brian. Had Brian on, didn't we? We've not. We, no, no, you. I had him on. You had him on on, on a different podcast. Brian's a great guy. Brian's and, a great guy, and he did a lot of the effects on like the Star Trek films and the X Men films. Yeah. But he did the makeup on Benjamin Button. He worked on this last Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And indeed, it's cool because he's in some aspects a hometown boy for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. I want to get him on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. HBO exec um, praised David Milch's Deadwood script as quote terrific. Okay, that's the that's the movie. Yeah. yeah Slowly yeah. that we're moving towards the realization of a Deadwood movie. Cool. And my wife is now in the middle of watching it, and she has nothing but good things to say. Yeah. I've not seen it, and I know that yeah, save your letters. But uh, uh, it just. Seems super interesting. Sure, they're doing that. Um, this won't surprise anyone, but there's a whole John Wick universe coming um, with stories of one of the ideas is a John Wick atomic blonde crossover. Mm-hmm. There's a problem in that atomic blonde is set in the late '80s, and then John Wick is present. But they're both directed by David Leach, sure. who's also doing um, what Deadpool Two. Um, uh, uh, but they're also talking about a new film called Ballerina that's going to be set in the John Wick world. Then they're talking that there's a John Wick comic book coming out, and there's talk about a John Wick prequel TV series. Huh. Um, sure, let's employ as many stunt martial yeah. artists as we can. Absolutely. Uh, I have not seen Atomic Bl- uh, Blonde, but I hear nothing but good things yeah. about it. Um, it looks great. I mean, you know, it, 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 when we first saw the trailer, we were kind of like, it's John Wick, but yeah. she's a girl, you yeah. know, and that's kind of... Well, I saw her I on uh, The Daily Show, and she was talking about how, um, you know, the, how long it took them to shoot everything, and sure. I guess there's a fight in a stairwell that everyone is already comparing to things like the the mirrored room in Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. and like all those, you know, the... The great fight scenes. The great fight scenes, yeah. Uh, despite his bitching, Daniel Craig coming back for a Bond film in 2019. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. But, you know, sure. I've yet to see any of them. They're actually good. I, um, I, I imagine they are. Uh, I, I do think that... I really love the idea that um, Bond is a is a title that keeps getting handed around. Right. I would love to see them explore that more. And, and to help explain why there's been so many of them. Sure. Um, so there's that. Uh, Diane Lane has joined an all-car star cast of a noir thriller called Serenity. She will join Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, Uma Thurman, and... I'm going to fuck this guy's name up. Digimon, Digimon Hansu, who was in Amistad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in uh, Constantine. Sure. Um, it's a film in which a mysterious, pa- uh, let's see, uh, a fishing boat captain living in C- the Caribbean has some sort of mysterious past, and you know, it's more of that Matthew McConaughey being that that mud dude. Yeah, sounds like. Um, John Stewart doing a stand-up special for HBO. Cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, I I'm glad. 
I remember the '80s resurgence in stand-up back when there when Comedy Central was the Ha Network. Right. And um, there was like this. It was this glorious time for stand-up, and I think it's coming again. Hmm. Um, the stuff, the changes that have been made to the Comedy Store are invited. And, and look at Netflix. Netflix is. I turned on a, a stand-up special last night that that looked great. Um, and then it was subtitled, and it was all in, I want to say, Farsi. Um, but it was like, who? clearly there's an audience for right. this. Um, let's see. Captain Marvel going to be set before Iron Man, and it'll have scrolls. I know you're happy. Woohoo! <laughs> Patton Oswalt playing the Pegasus in Sci-Fi's Happy. Um, it's based on Grant Morrison's book about an imaginary cartoon-looking Pegasus. Uh-huh. Patton Oswalt, who teams up with an alcoholic hitman being played by Christopher Maloney from SVU. Okay. I'm down. Okay. Maloney does comedy really well. He was in Harold and Kumar. Uh-huh. He was in um, that uh, American, whatever it is, American Wet Hot American Summer right. thing. Yeah, yeah. This is all exciting you, I can tell. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm... <laughs> Um, <laughs> Ricky Fumoya, who did a movie called Dope, is directing uh, a movie based on Image's Son of Shaolin from um, and The Rock production company. Okay. <laughs> just no, none of this sounds like... It just all sounds like product, right? Okay, yeah, it yeah, does. Kind of, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But this is what the internet was talking about yeah. this week. Uh, and this one I find really interesting. IMAX CEO says that IMAX is going to migrate away from 3D films. That's cool. Yeah, uh, a lot of I want to I want to say it was Dunkirk that got released, and a couple of others recently have been released on IMAX in 2D, mm-hmm. and there hasn't been a hiccup as far as um, yeah. ticket sales. So they're like, why are we going to this extra? Well, I remember when when 3D started becoming the thing, and I was just like, why, why? Very rarely, it sucks for me because I wear glasses, and yeah. it just sucks. I, it's 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 the rare movie that I think is enhanced by it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Avatar worked. Avatar worked. But it was made to work. It was made for that. Um, the only movie that I can think of where 3D was used to advance story in 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 the way it, in much the same way camera movement is and things like that is Hugo. Yeah. Um, and and oh sure. And I just don't... That's a great movie. That is a great movie. That a lot of people don't really... I th- people think... It definitely doesn't get dropped with in the Scorsese conversation. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it's not... It, you know, people think it's a kid's movie. It's... it's, no. it's I mean, the real story there is all about George Millet. So yeah, it's a lot... I, I I've always seen that film as like a love letter to cinema. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And um, oh, it's so good and so pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Moving on to trailers. There's a bunch that we're going to... Oh, wait. I have a couple more things. I just realized. Samuel L. Jackson is being cast by Warren Littlefield, who is doing Fargo, and Jonathan E. Steinberg, who's doing Black Sails, mm-hmm. to star in a TV thriller called The Old Man, written by Thomas Perry. It kind of sounds like The Equalizer. Okay. It, or, it's a series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, TV series. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson doing TV. Sure, why not? Samuel L. Jackson will do just about anything. Sure. Um, as long as you sign him up and, you, and the check clears. So that's good. Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Ron Howard, daughter, she was in Jurassic Right, the last she was Jurassic in, Park, yeah. is directing a short film called Sort of Like a Rock Star from the Matthew Quick novel. And then finally, 
This will bum me out. This is going to bum me out. Um, after the dismal performance of Alien Covenant, Fox is looking to reboot the entire Alien franchise. Okay, this is... A, okay. <laughs> God damn and it. And go. <laughs> like, first of all, I, I've been... I, like, I've been getting... I've been seeing all this hate towards Ridley Scott. Uh-huh. You know? People calling him Ridley Twat. And just wow. Like, oh, oh, dude. Like, Jeez. it's mean. It's <laughs> bullshit. And it's like, look, first of all, uh, you let him do his thing, and fanboys who like Alien cry. Mm-hmm. All right, so then he caters to them, which I think is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And we get Alien Covenant, which is kind of like a weird mix of the two, Prometheus and 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 uh, the Alien franchise. And uh, for me, the weakest part of that movie is this this pandering to these fucking crybabies. It's like... Look, At the ending, you mean? Just the, of course the ending. No, no. Just the, just the fact that we have to have aliens in there in the first place. Oh, okay. And, and, and they went away from practical effects. And, well, I mean, there, there are some cool practical effects in there, but not nearly as much as, as one would expect with an alien film. Anyway, the point being is like, look, you... You already started this. Like, I'm going to be so pissed if Alien Covenant is the end of that storyline. Because mm-hmm. I want the I want the thing to play out now. Right? Yeah, I want to see. I want hey, to you see started it. Yeah, you brought exactly. it up. Yeah. yeah, and and you know this bullshit about um, you know he's he's lost touch with his base and stuff like that. And it's like, look, God damn it, you don't filmmakers like Ridley Scott do best when they're not playing to your fan base. Yeah, just, it's not, yeah, just let him do his thing. You know, Nobody goes to David Lynch and says, hey man... Can you rein it in, David? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And uh, and I get it. It's all about money. And, and, and I guess that's, that's my ultimate complaint is that it shouldn't be. It should be about But at the end the of the story. day, I almost feel like yeah, you you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that guy. Yeah. So let him let him play it out. Yeah. Um. Maybe maybe if you're if you're nervous, you you put a little uh, constraint on him as far as budget goes. Sure. But you know you don't necessarily need a hundred million. Maybe you can bring that down a little yeah. bit. Um. Um. If you can make it affordable, you know it always reminds me of the Romero thing about what would you do with twenty million? I twenty million dollars. I make ten two million dollar movies. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that. Yeah, but it's just a, it's that same thinking. It's like it didn't work. We have to change. We have to change right. everything. We have to strip it all down. Right. It didn't work. It didn't work. We didn't kick ass on our opening. That's the that's yeah. what I hate. That yeah. that's the model now. It's but like even Prometheus like, has people that when even though people talk shit about it when it first came out, there are people like yourself who now say you know upon retro- Alien Three is the same way. Yeah. Upon retrospect, it's a great film. It is a great film. So yeah, fuck him. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's, that's the other motto of the yeah, show. Yeah, Fuck them. Fuck um, Trailers. There's a lot. We're going to go through them really, really fast. Alpha. Um, kind of a kind of a white fangy kind of. Well, in that in that it's the it's it's you know basically the story of how wolves began to get domesticated with this one dog. This one, one dog. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, you yeah. Know, the, the, the kid is injured. And it's uh, twenty thousand years ago. Yeah. So we're talking primitive man, uh, which I, which I really love as a, uh, 
as a background for stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's rarely been done right. Um, Quest for Fire comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I really like that. This reminded me ki- kind of like White Fang meets Quest for Fire. I'm right. hoping they don't do any dialogue. I hope that it's a, it's one of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I got the impression like a, a young Tom, maybe 10 or 12, sure. would have eaten this up with a biscuit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to see it. Um, I probably won't go to the theater and see it. Yeah. And this is definitely a put it on my queue yeah. and I'll get to it when I see it. But it, it does look good. It looks good. Uh, my friend Dahmer. Um, it looks good. Good. I I just I, I don't think I care enough um, uh, yeah. about Dahmer's story. Yeah, it's um, it may be important for people with similar issues to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. And the idea that I think that you know it falls into that category for me are things like you know Kane Hopper did that BTK. Right. Thing. And, 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 I, and I think it's all a part of why serial killer novels and um, uh, like and rule books are important because it's all our attempt to try to understand try to understand unimaginable right um, so I get it I have friends who have quote unquote favorite serial killers sure um, but I, there's also a part of me that that feels like yeah uh, I don't need that I know that I need this it's a heavy when you start making movies like that, it's it's it, the exploitation element seems almost mm. too much for me. Yeah. And it's like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. people aren't people aren't going to see it to try to understand Dom, or they're going to see it for him to kill for people. people. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you want you got to wonder about that. But at best, um, you know, maybe if it showed this showed up on HBO or something, and I got had nothing to do, which right. is never. Uh, I might watch it, but at this point, I'm just not. I, this is one of the ones I just yeah. wasn't feeling. Uh, next up, Queen of Spain. It's a uh, uh, Penelope Cruz movie. It feels like an El- Almodovar movie. Yeah, it does a lot. I was surprised that it wasn't whenever I saw yeah. it. Yeah, um, it looks it looks, it looks fun. fun. Yeah. Manny Patinkin in there, mm-hmm. mixing it up. Um, it's Carrie it's Elways is in it, taking place against the backdrop of. French filmmaking? Uh, no, it's Spanish. Spanish, Spanish yeah, sorry, uh, Revolution, yeah. um, Franco. Yeah, under, yeah, yeah. under Franco under regime. Franco, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks fun. It looks humorous. It, it looks cool. Um, Rebel in the Rye. It's a sort of pseudo-bio on J.D. Salinger and the writing of um, Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. Um, I would have interest in it um, because I'm always interested in like where you know the where great artworks of art come from. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm in the minority. Catcher on the Ride does absolutely nothing for me. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I never have. I've gone... I remember reading it and thinking, that's it? Yeah. Uh, this is what everybody yeah, talks yeah, about? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm like, obviously I'm missing something, right? Sure. So, so I went back and got, uh, you know, read... You know theories on it, and analysis, and all this crap, and it's just like, no, I didn't miss anything. Yeah, it's just it's not. It's just not there. It's just not my thing. Um, it's one of those things that just through all all my years, I've never read it, and everyone, I always look at it and just go, I should get to that, but then yeah. I find a new, another Don Hamilton. Yeah, <laughs> that somehow yeah. seems more important. Yeah. Um, Triple Threat. Uh, this is starring Iko Awai from The Raid. Right. Um. 
Tony Jaw. Mm-hmm. It looks like a Thai extravaganza. Mm-hmm. Um, along the lines of things like latter um, films like um, Headshot. Right. And uh, Equal Wife. If, you, if, you're, if you're into the new Asian action movie, mm-hmm. this is right up your alley. Yeah. yeah. It'll probably go pretty quickly to Netflix streaming and you'll yeah. be able to see it. It'll make for a really killer highlight, you know, Triple yeah. Threat highlight video on YouTube. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I, it's it's like a lot of that stuff now. I kind of feel oversaturated with it, and, mm-hmm. and the things that used to make me go, "Oh shit!" Well, you ruined anymore. it. You ruined it. At one point, when you you taught me having six, and you go, <laughs> and you go, "This isn't everything," and I'm all, "Yeah, this guy's full of shit." And then all of a sudden, I'm like, "God damn, it's in everything." Having six is a uh, uh, form pattern of striking sticks in a prescribed manner, and it's it, a double stick striking yeah, pattern. Yeah, and it like it looks impressive, but you realize like, oh, this is just this is cinemally, this is nonsense. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, it's a movie from a uh, temple. American tourists um, find their touring temples in Japan, right? And they go to a, temp- a certain temple and they stay until the the uh, sun goes down. And some shit goes down. It looks look pretty. It's a haunted temple movie, yeah. basically. Look good. It, it looked solid. I don't. Again, Netflix, sure. DVD. Um, uh, so you know, I, I it's on my radar now, and I'll probably it's Japanese. I'll probably watch it. Um, the next one, um, I think, has a great idea. It's a great central idea, and that's the vault. James Franco plays a bank manager. Mm-hmm. People come in for a robbery. They want him to open the vault. He he says, I can open the vault, but there's a vault in the basement that has even like old money, more money, lots of gold and all this other shit. And so these guys, the robbers, go for the big score, and they go into the basement to rob the vault, and I guess the entire basement or the vault is haunted. There's something there. Yeah, and it, and the movie, like, let's say, From Dust Till Dawn, turns Changes. on a dime. Yeah. And I, I love that. You know, I really... I think it's a cool idea. I, I, I would love for that vault to have monsters in it. <laughs> hey, it looked kind of like there was some manifestation of something. That something. Was it was something weird. <laughs> running around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, hopefully that'll pan out. It's one of those, like, you look, watch the trailers and you go, ooh, like, uh-huh. this, this could be good. This could be cool. And then you, and you, it's, it's up to them to fumble it on the two-yard line. <laughs> uh, next up, a movie called Marjorie Prime. Um, Michael Fassbender's in it. It reminds me of a female her with the Walking Phoenix movie. Oh, an, yeah, An yeah, elderly yeah. woman who's drifting off into Alzheimer's. They, her parents, her, her children buy her a... A, a robot kind of hologram of her husband when he was young. Right. And the, it's like they begin to fall in love and mm-hmm. um, it looks like a weeper. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actress in her name, her name is escaping me, but she's she's more of that movie helper that yeah, you, as soon as you see everyone her... Everyone would know her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget her name, though. Um, but, uh, again, not not a theater thing, but... Yeah, definitely on my radar for for a movie rental. Uh, next, a movie called Wonderstruck with um, uh, Julianne Moore. I want to say. Um, do you remember this? I do, and I, and and it, it occurred to me as I was watching it. I know nothing 
what this movie is about. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks interesting. It looks cool, and they there's there's a fantasy element in there somewhere. Yeah, and they're and they're going back and forth between different times, and uh, there are kids, but it doesn't really like I don't know. Yeah, you don't walk uh, out of there going. This is about it's about this. Yeah, I have no idea what it's, it's very about. impressionistic in a weird way. Uh, it's supposed to be based on the best-selling book, so is it, is it everything. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see, new uh, Coen Brothers Suburbicon. Um, well, Coen Brothers produced and wrote it. Wrote it, directed by Clooney. Yeah, and it looks fun. It, it looks, looks very burn after reading. This is the, this is the one out of all the trailers this week that I was kind of like. That that I'd like to see. That I would go and spend. Oh, you're a Coen Brothers fan. Right? I am. I yeah, am yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. Coen Brothers fan. Um, uh, Matt Damon mm-hmm. is the star and looks really good in it. And uh, it, it, it uh, I kind of get this idea there are elements of uh, the same spirit that you would have in Falling Down. Yeah, where a guy's pushed to of, the edge. Yeah, he's 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 sick of. Yeah. He's sick of getting. With it's just the whole thing kind of reminded me. It's like that scene through a uh, a uh, burn after reading sort of right. sensibility. It's There's, goofy and funny. It's goofy and funny, and at the same time, it looks dark. Um, and uh, there's an element of. Um, well, there's an element of some film noir in there, and that he's mixed up with the mob, mm-hmm. and he's. He he's now putting up with their shit. Yeah, you know, it's like basically he just reach, reaches a point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Coen Brothers, so yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, next up, LBJ. Woody Harrelson is LBJ. Um, what's I, what's the new interest in LBJ all of a sudden? I don't know. Like um, the the Brian Cranston thing came out on HBO, right? And I, I I don't know. Um, it's that same thing that happens like when all the meteor movies come out at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like yeah, it, right. we don't know why these things happen. Or that the or the the example that I always like to point out is like, look, we got two Truman Capote movies writing right. blood at the same, at the same time, time, and they're both great movies. Yeah, I, this uh, LBJ thing. I mean, uh, I think for people who. I think it looks like a it looks like a fun acting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, to watch people like Woody Harrelson play. Yeah. You know, something like that with real gravitas um, would be interesting. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I care enough. I mean, I I'm, I'm really interested in that time period, but LBJ is not where I go to. Right. You know, there's another film I think that we just talked about about the. Happens exact at the exact same time, um, and the dude—it's a black guy who's trying to—who's the the black contingent in the room, right? Um, not Thurgood Marshall. Was it Thurgood Marshall? I forget. I think. Well, there is a Thurgood Marshall movie coming. Coming, out yeah, movie. and he's kind of a badass. Yeah. He's like punching people and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, again, if you—I mean, if you have an interest in politics at that time, mm-hmm. I think this movie's right down your alley. You know, it's always, the thing about movies like this is, you know, it's always through somebody's lens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it looks like, if you're a fan of LBJ, yeah. you're going to like this movie. This looks very sympathetic yeah, yeah. to him. Mm-hmm. Him as sort of superhero. And then finally, um, the major trailers is uh, It, who, uh, I want to hear, I go. you go first on this one. Okay, um, First of all, I love it. 
Mm-hmm. I like the movie. I, the the, the made TV for television sure. uh, movie. I like the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there's like all Stephen King things. Uh, there's like a couple weird things in it that always kind of makes me go, huh, really? Um, but in general, I really like it. I love the kids' story. Um, and while this looks great, it does. It looks great. It looks mm-hmm. creepy. Skarsgård looks great as Pennywise. I, I kind of, I feel like, I did this the first time around. Like, sure. I don't really, I feel like it's unnecessary. Um, allow me to counter. I think that, I, I, I think the book is okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the TV show was okay. Mm-hmm. I think the ending is, is really probably one of King's weakest. Um, I think Skarsgård, where I was thinking, there's no way they're going to pull this off. I never really thought Tim Curry's Pennywise was that scary. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing is genuinely scary. Sure. And the, I like the look of it because it feels like some of these modern PG horror films that look great but may, weren't as good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I like that they're being a little self-referential. There's supposedly a scene in the new trailer with uh, you can see Pennywise in there mm-hmm. it, it, it it hints at a bigger and broader world sure uh, I like the idea that they're going to do them in two movies these days that, that sure. seems to be perfectly workable but I agree I just don't know that anyone was clamoring other than a couple of accountants were clamoring for an It remake mm-hmm. that said I, I think it looks it looks fine it looks fine yeah. it looks fine I'm I'm I'm, I'm not uh, I'll definitely see it mm-hmm. first of all um, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I just, I just kind of feel like, hmm. you know, like like so often is the case with remakes. It's like why, why, yeah. why this? Why? And then you all, you, and then when you know that it's going to be made, you're you're left with, well, it's, okay, yeah, you know. You know. Um, I don't, I don't want to hear any of that raping my childhood shit about most stuff because I think you need, you do need to reinterpret things for another audience. Uh, if you doubt that, you know, look at look at the difference between modern TV and 1950s TV. It's, it's like sure. a different thing. A um, couple of things really quickly that that I didn't include on the list, but I thought they were important to mention, like right right quick. Number one, Stranger Things season two trailer. Mm-hmm. Talk about genuinely scary. Yeah, it looks great. Looks great. Uh, I don't haven't seen the thing that the first season, mm-hmm. um, but this thing looks looks great. Yeah, uh, and again, hints at a broader world. Westworld season two. Um, there was a trailer for that uh, that was out. I don't know if you, if you got a chance to see it. Uh, um, maybe. It looks... It's clearly still... We're still in Westworld. Um, yeah. I thought that we were going to go to Japan World or, or some of this other stuff. And maybe we might end up there. But um, I just don't know that we... You know, we, we need we need a season two set in the West. I think we kind of covered that. Mm-hmm. And I would have really liked to see it break down the thing. And then here's a couple things I know you don't care about. Uh, Marvel's Defenders, uh, Sigourney Weaver doing her best Kingpin impression. Um, they're trying to breathe life into this thing. Uh, this is the is this the series that's made up of the, all the, the television Marvel? Yeah, it's people. Daredevil, jo- uh, the Jones, Iron Fist, and um, Luke Cage. Uh-huh. Uh, sure, I guess it's start, it's starting to feel like Arrow to yeah. me. All of it all feels like Arrow to me. And then finally, uh, I have no idea what happened here. Thor Ragnarok. Did you uh, did you see this? Or is I saw the trailer. 
where did all these colors come from? Um, other than I mean, it just seems like someone sprayed Guardians of the Galaxy mist on everything, mm-hmm. and it just seems like such a weird tonal shift. I don't know. I mean, like visually, it may it may be, but you know, I mean, the trailer has you know these funny moments in yeah. it, and uh, uh, Jen, who, who loves all the Marvel universe stuff, that's the biggest draw is that it's they're fun. They're fun. They're funny. There's always joking going on, mm-hmm. um, and and that that is missing from the DC universe stuff. Yeah, and, and the DC universe is so it's all been a big rim. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to fix it. Guardians is a is a Marvel thing, right? And Thor is a Marvel thing, right? And so I feel like um, the first two Thor films, my wife hit it on the head. She called them chick flicks. They're chick flicks. Sure. And um, uh, so the tonal shift is interesting. I think everything's heading towards this big event that they're 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 planning with Infinity War. Right. Um, and it's just I, I I just don't know. I mean, I saw there was some bootleg footage from a D, there was a panel at D twenty three and there was one at Comic Con that showed kind of a trailer for Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculous. The entire time you're going like, hey, there's that guy, there's that guy, hey, look, there's that guy, hey, who, where did he show up? And they're just people showing up on screen, mm-hmm. and you hope that it means something, but it's just big and loud. And it's people... Marvel doing Destroy All Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it seems so. And they've already said that they're going to kill off some people. Good. So, major people. And I have a feeling everyone's pointing at Captain America. Well, good, because he... he uh, the only one I kind of care about. <laughs> yeah. There's a few that they're they're saying that they're, they're going to kill. Uh, the, I just read an article. They thought that they were going to kill Captain America, um, Scarlet Witch, and Vision because there's a scene of you, you don't care about it. There's a scene of Thanos with the with the completed Infinity Gauntlet and it has all of the stones. And one of the one of the Infinity Stones is what powers the Vision. So they think the Vision's going to die. Sure. Okay. Has the Vision been in a movie yet? Yeah. What has he been in? <laughs> He's an agent of Ultron and a bunch of other stuff. A couple of other ones. You know, okay, sure. Uh, and, yeah. he's, okay, and he's different than... Who's the other Marvel dude that has laser Fox, uh, Cyclops? Yeah. There's a dude named yeah. Cyclops? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Hey, wasn't Vision, like, in the Defenders? No. I don't know. Maybe. Wasn't he, like, he wore, like, a green suit with, yeah, like, yeah, yellow yeah, shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 See? He knows. I know. No, I don't. <laughs> what, have you, what have you been watching? And when we get out of here. Um, oh, God. Um, what have I been watching? I don't know if I've been watching anything. I've been so busy. Um, I, I can't think of anything that I've watched. Seriously. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, since last week. Uh, me, go to my website, of course. I'm still doing stuff. Films like St. Nick. I, saw, I, I, I watched Final Destination 5. And, you know, I just wish someone would just make a mega cut of all the deaths. It's like the Saw films at that point. Right. Um, I rewatched, didn't ask me why, I just saw it sitting there, Undertaker and his pals. Okay. <laughs> it's like going home. Um, film called Little Deaths. Uh, classic Corman film, Tales of Terror. Sure. Uh, I did... I did, based on this, all of this Marvel stuff, rewatch uh, Captain America: First Avenger. Great movie. Great I movie. love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Of yeah. all the Marvel films, I think it's the yeah. one that works the best. And then um, I'm working on a project right now that I won't discuss, but 
Um, I've been re- spending a lot of time. My movie that I have put, been putting on as I go to sleep to give my give me lovely little dreams has been Apocalypse Now. Yeah, and um, just an amazing movie. So much. I was just watching the introduction of Kilgore, and um, the thing that I couldn't help but thinking was there's a pan camera pan into the village. And there's all this stuff in the air. There's helicopters flying by. And right. you realize that all of that was orchestrated on such a massive level. Right. Um, truly one of the uh, the great American cinema um, uh, examples of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, go watch that. By the uh, way, did that, that, that trailer thing, that's fake, yeah? Which one? The, the Apocalypse Now remake. No, it's not a remake. It's a video game. It's, oh, God. Okay. Yeah, it's all that. All it's right. super realistic, though. But it, I just was stumbling around looking for chunks because I wanted to look at key scenes because, uh, yeah, it's influencing what I'm working on. But uh, I found a video game trailer for a game called Apocalypse Now, and it looked like you play as Willard, and you go through, and who knows you know, the, the, the particulars. But mm-hmm. it looked cool. That's cool. Um, uh, and why I would, I would, I would, I like. I need to go back and reread Heart of Darkness. Yeah, it's different. It is different. It's 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 actually a lot different. Mm-hmm. But the but the basic story structure is the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And let's hear it for stealing story structure. Absolutely. And you'll know what I'm talking about there when I'm done with this thing. Um, are you reading anything? And we get out of here. Uh, am I reading anything? I'm reading. Um, I'm. As I usually do this time of year, I'm rereading October Dreams. Okay, that's always good. I love that. That's always good to do. Uh, For Don't Ask Me Why, all this talk of Game of Thrones, I went back and I picked up uh, a George R. R. Martin book that I dearly love called Fever Dream. It's a vampire. Yeah, Yeah. I consider it one of the the best unsung vampire novels of all time. Mm. I think it's better than any Anne Rice novel. I think it's better than virtually 99.9% of um, vampire fiction. Uh, I'd love to see it as a movie. In the, in the, in, in the, um, in the idea of full disclosure and my constant quest to make friends, I think um, whenever you said... Um, you know that it's it's better than anything and Rice wrote. I think that could be said of most books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I uh, in a, we did it. We were doing an interview for a radio station at Stanford, and Anne Rice was on it. And I, I thought I was being a good guy, and I had said that they're essentially romance novels with teeth. And and she didn't take it that way. She hated. She really hated that. But um, uh, yeah, her her stuff has a certain flow to it, where I think that Martin, if anything, Martin can spin a story, and this thing, he really captures um, the, the the time he's talking about, which is, as this, as I say, the sun was setting on the Mississippi River boats. Right. And it's just these long chapters of these boats floating down the river, and this vampire in his, what is essentially his familiar, just talking about life, and, and, and how the need to kill, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's just great stuff. Yeah. I think we're done. Thanks again to David. 
uh, now Wilson for coming on. Dave yeah. Awesome. Uh, next week we have a show on cinematography scheduled. That's and, right. And that's going to be fun. And then um, I've just confirmed guests through September, October, and now we're moving into um, November, and we got some good people coming. We do up. got some good people coming. I'm excited. So stick around. Uh, we'll see you next week for the Bonus Potato Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scared.